Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 101, where no one has gone before. Welcome in to another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And, and my name you cannot pronounce in your limited human language. What is it, Gaelic? <laughs> no, it, well, no, it, it's actually John Champion. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I yeah, I, I'm a little too influenced by the Traveler for this week's episode. If you know us, you know what we do. Each week we get together and we do the thing with the thing. That is, we uh, take apart an episode or a, or a movie or, or something of Star Trek, uh, take it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and try to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Uh, this week, where no one has gone before. Yeah, yeah, not to be confused with the original series episode where no man has gone before, but we'll talk about oh, that in this trivia. this is not a Naked Time, Naked Now thing, is it? No, 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 not quite. Hey, not speak, quite. speaking of trivia, it, yeah. it worked out so well last time. Are you cool if I actually, uh, if I take trivia this week? I... Well, okay, well, when you say that it worked out well, I don't know exactly what you mean, but I thought but, it but, went but fantastically. Sure. I thought it was just absolutely great. No, okay, I mean, sure, you know how I am with like, you know, the whole the stars and guest stars and this guy was on that thing and that guy was on the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Traveler just played absolutely beautifully this week by John Malkovich. I mean, really, probably one of his best, I think, outside of yeah. maybe Crimes of the Heart. Was he in Crimes of the Heart? And Con Air. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> or or being John Malkovich. Or being yeah. John Malkovich. Oh, yeah, he was in that, wasn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, just really just a fantastic turn. Um, and great to see him in the Star Trek things. I'm hoping to see him at a convention one day. Ken, I'll need to take over trivia at this point, I'm afraid. Um, that was not John Malkovich. Uh, that was actually a different actor, uh, Eric Minyuk. <laughs> really? That's the trivia. Okay, yeah. wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, this is, we'll just do take two. Okay. Uh, Traveler was played by renowned John Malkovich imitator. <laughs> Eric Menyuk. Yeah, he is good at that. Very, very good <laughs> He's at that. Very, yeah, um, he actually he actually does the road show of, of Mice and Men. Oh, oh, how nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, outside of that, we know very little about him. <laughs> now, he worked primarily <laughs> as a TV guest actor from about 1986 to about 1998. And that's pretty much it. He auditioned for Data which is kind of cool. Wow. Um, and these days he practices law in the state of California. Really? Yeah. He that's, sure does. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Been hurt now, in an accident or a time travel incident? <laughs> you, you know what it's called. Call the, call the office. Menyuk and Menyuk. Menyuk. <laughs> Yes. All right. Um, so that's, 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 that's why I don't do trivia, by the way. No, no, that is exactly why yeah. you don't do trivia. One of the many but, reasons. But I can see how you would make the mistake. Yeah. As I mentioned, the, uh, the this title is a takeoff from the original Where No Man Has Gone Before. This script was originally titled Where None Have Gone Before, and it was written by Diane Duane and Michael Reeves. Um, now, let's talk about that title a little bit. Um, Bob Justman wrote a very extensive and, and very picturesque description in an early memo about the opening titles of Star Trek The Next Generation. If you haven't gone to the Discovered Documents and seen some of Bob Justman's writing, he's great and he's really funny and he's really descriptive. So he was trying to bang out this idea of what the opening titles would look like for this new show. And this is way, way early in the process, early in 1987. Um, 
He describes the planet flybys. He describes the angles that we'll see of the new Enterprise, the names on the screen. Of course, we didn't have the actress cast yet. And even Gene's special created by credit at the end and that hold on black. Now, he included the original narration, and he assumed that the familiar uh, Star Trek TOS theme song would be used, even with the soprano vocals. The memo was circulated around the office with a few changes, but one thing that jumped out at Susan Sackett, that was Gene's assistant at the time, was the term where no man has gone before. And she wrote a note on the memo that arrived in Gene's office that it would be a bit of a slap in the face to the 20 plus years of progressive Star Trek and a multitude of female fans if this wasn't corrected. So it got corrected. And ever since, it has been where no one has gone before. Um, Now, the original phrase, Ken, we didn't talk about this when we did the original series coverage. The original phrase was drafted by Sam Peebles, who wrote the episode Where No Man Has Gone Before. But the opening credits were shot long after that episode had been finished. Gene wrote the original mission statement, and it was quite different. So here in this early TNG tradition of paying homage to TOS, we have a title that shares some phrasing with an original series title. Um, Speaking of discovered documents, now I've pulled a few pages from an early draft of the script. This is the second draft where uh, Gene Roddenberry has his notes handwritten in the margins. I won't go into all of them here, uh, but I think you'll see that, at least to me, the most interesting thing was his instincts that led to better storytelling. He immediately asks that the Traveler character be kept a mystery from the beginning. He corrects some of the formalities of the characters, and he is very sensitive to how the audience might perceive Wesley. So that's a good deal of his notes and how that relationship plays out and gets changed between that draft and what we saw on the screen. Um, A couple of other things that did change. Uh, The Traveler did have a name early on. He was Hamalki. And uh, even Gene didn't get that in his notes. And he wrote, who? Next to (laughs) one of his lines of dialogue. Uh, Thus, we end up with the old sci-fi trope. You couldn't pronounce my name in your language. Um, A couple of other things during the dream sequences. um, I guess it was in the first draft or or maybe even just in the story notes. One of the hallucinations would have been uh, seeing Jack Crusher, but that got cut out relatively early on. Hmm. And um, finally... There's an interesting bit of trivia here about a guest actor, uh, Biff Yeager. He was cast as Argyle, and uh, Argyle may have been a recurring character. He was the chief engineer, one of the chief engineers that we have seen so far. And um, the story goes like this. He, He may have come across as a little too eager at the prospect of this being a recurring character. The production office started getting fan feedback about the show and about Yeager, except that some of that fan feedback had been written before the episode aired. And, uh, yeah, and uh, some of those letters that came to the production office mentioned that they were responding to the solicitation for opinion. Um, This did not go over very well with some of the people in the executive office at Star Trek. So apparently what had been happening, Biff Yeager 
contacted fan groups, Star Trek fan clubs, and said, hey, I'm going to be on this show. Please write into the front office and let them know what you thought about the show, what you thought about me. They really want to hear your thoughts about Next Gen. And then all of a sudden, this flood of mail comes in, which they would get fan feedback anyway, but this stuff saying, we heard you wanted our opinion, so here you go. And this kind of surprised a lot of the executives. Um, Biff Yeager was questioned about his actions, and he he pointedly and apologetically wrote back that he merely asked for opinions, good and bad, about the show overall. And he does admit that he asked Star Trek fan clubs to do that. Um, and they were all too happy to uh, to help him, assuming that this was a solicitation from the show itself. Long story short, um, Argyle only shows up in one more episode. Um, so whether that was a result of this or just a change in how the character uh, and an actor structure would have been later, well, that one we don't actually know the answer to. Biff's tale is a good one for me to hear this week. I was on the verge of saying that if you really like me, and really want to help me out, you could send an email to missionlog at roddenberry.com, and say something nice about the computer. Like how there should be more of her on the show. And how she could use a male, counterpart. Prologue. Five episodes in, and we're already getting an upgrade. The Enterprise is welcoming aboard a couple of people who will make changes to the engines in order to make them run more efficiently. Riker is skeptical, but Picard doesn't see any harm in giving it a shot. Kaczynski and his traveling alien assistant beam aboard. The alien, we'll call him the Traveler. Kaczynski will call a Class A assignee to the Enterprise. He brushes off Riker and Troy, then heads right to engineering. Troy confirms that Kaczynski is a Dickens of a character. The Traveler is harder to read. She gets nothing from him, and that worries Riker. Act 1. Kaczynski, who is acting like a total bastion of arrogance, tells Chief Engineer Argyle that he'll run his first test and don't worry about the fact that you don't understand the calculations. It just works, okay? Also, why is this kid here? You know, the kid? Uh... Well, Wesley is hanging out in engineering, doing some schoolwork. While Kaczynski is trying to dumb down the experiment with Riker and Argyle, the Traveler and Wesley start to chat. Wesley is intrigued by the Traveler's warp computations, and he thinks there might be some benefit to what they're proposing. The Traveler is pleased, intrigued by Wesley's grasp of a difficult concept. The first experiment is ready to begin. The Enterprise shoots away at warp 1.5, and all looks good until the Traveler becomes distracted for a moment. The engines pulse, and then he starts to fade away like he's one of Marty McFly's siblings in an old photograph. The Enterprise then blasts forward at enormous speed, passing galaxies and a Pink Floyd laser light show. When Picard calls for a reverse, they realize they are very far away on the other side of the M33 galaxy. In other words, so far from home that it would take over 300 years at maximum warp to get back, or even a message more than 50 years to get back. Act 2. Kaczynski, who is still kind of a prickly guy to get along with, 
bounds onto the bridge, all smiles and ready to tell Picard that he is practically a hero for taking them farther, faster than anybody anywhere. The others just want to figure out how to get home. The Traveler and Wesley have a chat. Wesley sees right through that Kaczynski is a cocksure joke and that the Traveler is doing some really out there calculations that merge time, space and thought. The Traveler tells him to forget it. You're too young and this is nonsense that your world isn't ready for. Picard asks Kaczynski if he can repeat the experiment. It would be nice to explore, but they really need to know that they can get home, that this isn't just some fluke. With all of his confidence intact, Kaczynski returns to engineering to enlist the help of his assistant to do it again. The Traveler looks a bit weary, and when Wesley tries to bring Riker up to speed, he just gets brushed aside. A course is laid in, the engines rev up, and the Traveler starts phasing out again. But this time, Riker sees it too. Galaxy after galaxy zooms by and the Enterprise comes to a stop. But where? We have no idea. Swirling light, strange colors. Data nails it when he reports that they are where none have gone before. Act 3. We're going to have a much longer trip back home. The new position puts the Enterprise more than a billion light years from Earth. I hope somebody brought some extra sandwiches for the trip. When Picard decides to go to engineering, things start to get weird. The captain sees himself walking through a turbolift door and almost falling into empty space. Worf sees his pet Targ from childhood. Yara sees her cat and then imagines herself running from a rape gang on her home planet. Others on the Enterprise envision themselves as musicians, dancers, running from a monster. Picard imagines he sees his mother dropping in for a cup of tea, but she's not there, and Riker escorts him finally to engineering. Red Alert is called, and Picard addresses the crew. He's figured out that where they are, this place in the universe somehow makes real whatever they imagine. They need to stop imagining, you know, crazy stuff. Just be cool, and we'll get out of this. Maybe. The situation engineering is dire. Kaczynski comes clean as the fake he is. Honestly, he thought he was doing something, but all along it was the Traveler. And the Traveler's situation is bad. Wesley explains that he, the Traveler, has been phasing in and out of existence. Now he's out cold and being examined by Dr. Crusher. If he can't help them, then they are trapped. Act 4. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher has little idea how to treat her patient. She can wake him, though it's dangerous. Picard orders it, and a hypo brings the Traveler back to consciousness. He tries to explain to Picard what's going on. He's just an explorer, a traveler who wants to see the universe, and he's catching rides on Federation starships when he can. Kaczynski is just a tool, his tool, to help him do it. He means no harm, really. Where they are is indeed a long way from Earth, but what's happening is a little harder to explain. The traveler is mixing thought with time and space. Thought is what got them where they are now. Conventional warp engines won't do. The Traveler is like a lens to focus thought and manifest changes in reality. Kaczynski doesn't get it. Picard does. At least he gets it enough. The Traveler goes on to explain that in the human's limited understanding, he's from a different time, definitely a different place, and the humans should not even be here until the far future when they have better control over their own thoughts. His people travel everywhere, but until now, there was nothing of interest for the humans to offer. 
Picard is willing to give the Traveler another shot in engineering. He knows that is their only way out. But before he returns, the alien wants a word with Picard in private. Wesley is special, the Traveler explains. Like Mozart was with music, Wesley will be with physics. Encourage him, help him, but don't tell him about this chat. We don't want all that to go to his head now, do we? The Traveler has had a lot taken out of him, but time is running out, and he'll need to get back to the computer and engineering right away. Act 5. No idea where or when they are. The next warp experiment to return home begins. Only this time, Picard gives a unique order. Because thought has such an impact on their situation, he commands that every crew member concentrate on either their duty or on the well-being of the Traveler. The ship leaps away, the light show begins again, and the Traveler, after manning the computer, disappears. With the Enterprise back where it belongs, Picard invites Wesley to the bridge. Acknowledging his contribution during their time with the Traveler, Picard gives the boy the rank of acting ensign and, for a moment, a seat on the bridge. The end. You're always very good about saying when I do a good job. Um, I gotta say, um, and and it, it, people probably hear it, but I want to go ahead and acknowledge it. John's feeling a bit under the weather today. So <laughs> so very well done, especially especially given that. Thank you. I, I do want to encourage people not to send chicken soup. <laughs> because by the time yeah. they hear this, it, it could make me even worse. Right. And that's, yeah. that's just if it gets there in a couple of days, people yeah. listening like two years from now, if you're thinking, no. oh, I should send John something. No, uh, be like the traveler or be like the people around the traveler. Just send him well wishes wherever he is. And then that little boost you feel in your step, John. Yeah. That could be somebody listening to the podcast 10 years from now for the first time going, oh, I hope he's OK. Uh, <laughs> that's really cool. I'm that's sending really good thoughts. Nice. Yeah. It would be kind of cool. I know you don't believe in that kind of thing, but still. Yeah, well, we'll find that out toward the end of the show, won't we now? <laughs> well, I, I'm not talking about this episode. Anyway, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get to the important stuff, because there's okay. one thing that's been vexing me this whole time. They're 300 light years away. It's going to take 51 years to get a message to Starfleet. They send off the message. Then they end up back in our space and time. Do you think they let Starfleet know that there's going to be a weird message on the way? Right. By the right. way, in 51 years, you're going to get a distress call from two galaxies away. It's going to sound like me, mostly because it was or mm -hmm. will be or is depending on how you feel about yeah that whole space time thing right uh, but ignore it because we're fine and <laughs> and we'll either be fine or dead 51 years from now right yeah yeah that, that is really odd and you can't unsend no you can't something that has been sent like that but now, it, now it, the it other did... the other possibility forgive me we may have a plot yeah. point for star trek the next next generation yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> I, uh, that whole thing, though, did make me think about the uh, the idea of subspace as a thing and as a way of sending a message. I mean, okay. here we are in this future in the 24th century where we've got warp speed just everywhere. We can get to all these places. There are still limits. You know, we know that it takes a certain amount of time to get from point A to point B. But the idea here is that you still have to have a ship to go out and do things. And that ship has to have people on it mm -hmm. to negotiate, to bring supplies, to explore, to do whatever they're doing. Even though a subspace message travels much faster 
You know, the, the idea that I could be on Earth and I could send a subspace message way, way faster than warp speed, hopefully take care of a, a, a problem that requires negotiation. But some things just still require a person to be there, even if it takes longer for that person to get there. Can I? Oh, see. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mind scan. I, I, I would suggest mind scan by our friend uh, Robert J. Sawyer. Oh, and I don't want to say anything more about why I'm saying that based on what you just said, although people might be able to infer something, but they won't know for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, may I suggest Mind Scan by Robert J. Sawyer for a number mm-hmm. of reasons. It also deals with, you know, uploading consciousness into robots. And who doesn't love that? Am I right? I, I, yeah. I, I, know, I know somebody who loves that. I know yeah. some, who's uh-huh. got two thumbs. And well, actually, got, <laughs> but anyway, me, yeah. I guess that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, we we will hope that people will check that out for sure. Um, no, I meant you. Oh, well, I, I, I hope other people do too. too. But yeah. I will check that out. Yeah, because you and I need to have a. You know, we got to figure out what to do after this Star Trek and moonlighting business. So, yeah. the collected yeah, yeah. works of Robert J. Sawyer may be our podcast in twenty twenty seven. Nice. I like that. <laughs> um, now let's talk about a, a moment here where Deanna reads Kaczynski right away. Mm-hmm. And we didn't need Deanna to read Kaczynski because everybody in the audience could read Kaczynski right away. Right. Um, I, I get why she's helpful on board, generally speaking, because if you are faced with an alien, um, well, well, in Farpoint, we, we saw that very well, where she could sense the idea that there was an emotional consciousness at work there, not just uh, an alien craft. Right. But it really did make me wonder again about where the lines are drawn with her powers. She read Yar in Code of Honor and outed her to the captain. Uh, (laughs) The captain's standing right there. She did not out her to the captain. She let Tasha do it. Well, yeah, but it it was uncomfortable. Even Tasha said, you know, how dare you? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Well, I think that's that's the uneven writing around Tasha, but we'll get to that in a bit. Maybe. Maybe. Now, Now, Kaczynski is not a Starfleet officer. But it, we're just sort of making assumptions about him. He, he's a guy who is assigned by Starfleet. He shows up. We've gotten his pedigree from the other two ships that he's worked on so far. So we assume that he's there for good reason. And we assume they're going to learn what his skills are. Right. But still, Deanna is there saying, uh, I, I, I wouldn't trust this guy. Are there other uh, uh, counselors with these powers on other ships? And if not, does that give an unfair advantage to the Enterprise? Is it just an unfair bit of, um, oh, I, I don't know, overreach on the side of the Enterprise when you have somebody who can read an emotional state, potentially read a mind well, of someone else? There's no reason to think, though, that the Vulcans wouldn't have been able to do that. But are you going to keep putting a Vulcan on every ship? Right. right. I mean, I, w- I would think that a finely tuned Vulcan, I mean, go back to the motion picture. Mm-hmm. There's an, an intelligence that nobody has ever encountered before. Nobody has even encountered its like before. Mm-hmm. But a well-tuned Vulcan or half Vulcan, and and you know there may actually be something to the whole half part of it, right? Because right, Troy right. is not Beta Z; she's half Beta Z, right, or Beta Zoid, right. whichever. Right. She's only half that. So I mean, maybe it's the there may be an inherent thing about you know the the, the combination, you know, the whole etic thing of you know, hey, humanity mm. plus this equals something kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, Deanna is not because she's only half. She's not able to actually read minds. She's able to sense. And, right. you know, honestly, a good person can do that. A dog can do that for crying out loud. So, I mean, it's just it's just something that, that reads very well to her or very quickly to her. 
So, well, and Kaczynski gives you no room for a misinterpretation. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, anybody could have done that. Anybody. Yeah. Yes, because he was, uh, he kind of wore that on his sleeve. Um, he's great in the crisis, though. I will say, I mean, things go bad and he just, you know, puts his elbows on his desk and wrings his hands. That was that was really kind of amazing. While everybody else is like, oh, we got to do something. Kaczynski's like, oh, they're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not even pretending to push pretend buttons. Just, you know, oh, wow. That's, that's it. That's all he's got. And, and he doesn't even, like I said, he's not a ranking officer. Well, can we go so, back for a second? Why do you keep saying that? Because he is wearing a uniform. He's wearing a uniform, but it has, it has no Starfleet badge. It has no rank insignia on it. And they always just refer to him as Mr. Kaczynski. Yeah, he's not okay. lieutenant. He's not captain. He's not commander. He's just sort of a guy. <laughs> and, and he's gotten a sight. So, but, but, you know, it makes sense. Like, um, there are people in my family who were, you know, who worked for the army, mm-hmm. who worked for the military, but they were civilians, mm-hmm. but they like their pay grade would be at a certain rank. So you have the equivalent position, but they are civilians. They are not military. Did they wear uniforms? Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. No, not that I know of. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so. confusing. It didn't even occur to me that he actually didn't have a rank until, well, you were just saying it just now because he shows up in the um, engineering gold, right? Or yeah. com- command gold, actually. It's command no, no. gold now that I think about it, isn't it? Uh, command red, no. A command changed to red. Okay. Yep. From yep. gold. That's, yeah. But then Jordy wears red when he's well, in engineering. Jordy's going to change. He changes yeah. to gold? He, he, he will change to oh, red. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he, he's wearing red now. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. Somebody yeah, yeah, needs yeah. to. Okay, somebody needs to draw me a chart. Yeah. Preferably of how the color coding works. And it's three colors. It's primary colors. And still I'm sitting here going, wait a minute. What's the, so what is green for? Yeah. There actually isn't one. Hey, speaking of engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I love your line. Forgive me. I'm going to steal your line because I started it. Uh, Being the chief engineer of the Enterprise D is looking more and more like the drummer of Spinal Tap. (laughs) Yes. That's so awesome. an engineer. Yeah. Except, except uh, we never hear how any of these engineers go away, they just go away. I mean, like, we, we heard pretty graphically, actually, how the drummers of Spinal Tap died. <laughs> right. Um, right. Now, I don't, what, one thing I don't remember, though, were Mick Shrimpton and the boys, Stumpy Joe Dorita, all the, you know, all the, uh, all the drummers <laughs> for Spinal Tap, and those are the only two I can name, unfortunately. Uh, uh-huh. Ed Bakley Jr., I know, played one, not either right. of those, but right. um, were they all Scottish? Because... Man, um, all of the engineers up until when Mr. LaForge uh, becomes engineer, and I shouldn't say up until that point, but you know we've had Montgomery Scott, we had, uh, and I remember her name just because now we're talking about it, McDougal, Chief Engineer McDougal. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Shimoda doesn't count because he was never Chief Engineer. Right. Um, and then Argyle, Argyle. The man's name is Argyle for crying out loud. Could you be more right. Scottish? I mean, without calling him Scotty, which was already taken. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. Lieutenant well, Edinburgh, wow. report to the bridge. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't know um, what that's about. See, and, I, well, I, I, I would have gone German. They're an engineering people. I'm just saying. I would have I totally gone. I would have gone German. They are, but but there is the the whole thing about uh, uh, Scots being engineers as well, and, and that was part of the thing with James Dewan coming in and auditioning with a bunch of different accents, mm. and they said, "Oh no, no, Scottish, that's the one to do because Scots, well, Scots invented the steam engine." So there oh, you okay. go. So they have the, the history of engineering as well. Was, and, and by the way, was the first enterprise steam powered? I didn't realize. Yeah, yes, it was. Oh, I, wow, I didn't far out. If you, yeah, yeah, didn't know that. Early, but, uh, early, early steampunk. 
Right, <laughs> right. Um, and by the way, because I know that we'll get letters on it. Um, yes, uh, Jordy goes from red to gold. So does he really? Yeah. He does. He does. I just do yeah. not remember that at all. I'm so glad I'm finally watching Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> but again, isn't that what's cool about this? We get to go in order and we get to discover things yeah. as they happen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So there you go. Um, I, I really liked the 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of homage that we see in exploring the deepest parts of the universe. <laughs> and I say that seriously. I mean, no, I, I know. When you get to the third act of 2001 and it is the beyond, yep. I thought that was cool here. It, it, yes. it played out well. Yeah, yeah. My problem is I still can't see anything but an ELO video. <laughs> well, I, I love ELO. So, I do too. Um, and, and they yeah. use, I mean, they honestly use some effects that seem a little bit the same. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Because it got yeah. cheaper after what, that was 68, right? It was 2001. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So by the, by the mid to late 70s, mm-hmm. you, you, you get those effects in your breakfast cereal. <laughs> that's right and at the local planetarium show exactly but but it is cool that they put a number on it and they say that by this time in star trek we have charted 11 percent of our galaxy yeah i thought that was neat just because they put a number on it and they said wow the galaxy is so huge and by inference the universe is so huge we are just a tiny tiny insignificant part of that <laughs> you know you don't think it's just that we keep getting distracted do you well, like and we actually could have done more than 11%, but okay. right. Captain's Log, we're back at the shore leave planet. I don't know what uh, it is about this place, but there's just something. Right, right, right. I don't know if that, that would be it or not. Um, I thought it was interesting that Riker was ready to defend Wesley at one point. But as soon as Wesley is trying to break down what's really going on, then he's like, I don't have time for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. That yeah, was like little, at the beginning, Riker was ready. He was like, oh, no, no, Wesley's great. Just leave him there. That was a little incongruous, honestly. Yeah. But it's okay because it needed to happen for the episode. I got to mm-hmm. say, I like the way, and we're going to come back to this discussion uh, yeah. much later in the show, but I like the way the relationship is developing between Riker and Picard. I mean, there's no all due respect, Captain, in mm-hmm. this episode. I mean, it opens up with Picard going, well, now, what are you talking about? And Riker's like, well, I'm talking about this. And yeah. Picard's like, all right, fair. Go talk to him. I mean, it's I, it's it, there's no. I mean, we we're only five episodes in. I think you said, but there's yeah. I mean, we're we're starting to establish that familiarity. We're starting to establish that working relationship in ways that uh, even though it's still a new crew, even though it's still a new series, um, we're 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 kind of in it at this mm-hmm. point, which was um which is which is great to see. I mean, as opposed to just the you know the constant explanation of well it's early and I don't know you and we had this thing and you know it's like nah you know another day at the office. Let's get to it. I really, I really sort of appreciated that. We uh, we got a good piece of listener email from somebody who had been in the military, and he was talking about our reaction to Picard's original sort of hazing of Riker mm-hmm. um, in Encounter at Farpoint. Because you and I are both like, whoa, they, he's being a little rough here, <laughs> you know, not even making eye contact and all this. And our listener wrote in to say, well. This is a pretty common military thing, especially uh, among the the executive officer level, because it's like testing, you know, where are your loyalties? What are your priorities? And I get all of that makes absolute sense. But then I also question, well, in this quasi military, but still very enlightened, very different (laughs) sort of future, different kind of humanity. Do we still do that or or do we maybe approach it a little differently? I I think we would still kind of do it the same way because of 
you say quasi-military. There mm-hmm. are, I mean, in Kirk's time, there were 430, I think it was, on the Enterprise. Now there are over 1,000 people, and now right. there are women and children. I mean, spouses, not even people necessarily who are serving, but just, you know, hey, can I bring my wife and kid to work, you know, for the next however many years, wherever yeah, we're going? Yeah. And, and Federation's like, yeah, sure. I mean, there's still there's still a tremendous amount of responsibility. One might even say more responsibility on Picard. Mm-hmm. It was a fascinating. I, I was blown away, and I've seen the clip before. You know, where he's coming off the turbo lift and he almost steps into space. Yeah, that yeah. that like blew my mind this time because I was actually mm. you know really watching it and 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 paying a whole lot more attention. I just it says so much about who this guy is and the weight that he carries on a daily basis. The door opens from the turbo lift, and he is faced with the vast inky abyss that mm-hmm. is space and there is literally nothing between that nothing and his ship except for him now mm-hmm. you could maybe say uh, it's taken an awful lot of responsibility on yourself right. but i mean he is he is in charge of all of these people and 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 the thin membrane between you know nothing and uh, families and kids and exploring and all that stuff is is the command of jean-luc picard uh that was just incredibly stunning to me yeah yeah. Well, I, I mean, think of it uh, again, you know, what we have seen in the early episodes where everybody is ready to pull out a phaser mm-hmm. at, at the drop of a hat. They, they're ready to fight. And it, and it takes Picard. It takes his wherewithal to say, no, 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 that's not what we do. We're going to talk this out. We're going to work it out. What are you going to do? Shoot the television? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But then when he has that hallucination, which is like I said, stunning, and and it speaks to who he is. The next hallucination that he has, his reaction is different. Everybody else is so freaked out, and they think it's real. Mm-hmm. When he sees his mother, Mamal, um, he stops to talk to say, "Can you explain what's going on with my ship?" Right. So he's ready to engage the the hallucination. As if this is an intelligence that is responsible for what's going on. I thought that was kind of cool rather than just being sucked into the moment um, as everybody else was. So, again, it kind of creates the separation between his sort of intellectual fortitude, his perspective and everybody else. Well, he was sucked into the moment, but he was willing to use that time. Yeah. I mean, as opposed to the guy who's like standing there because he's behind a wall of fire or the person who's running from or the two people that are running from whatever monster it is that is chasing them that he doesn't see mm-hmm. and points to him. I mean, somebody else, he might have bumped into somebody else. They, those two people rather might have bumped into somebody else and and, you know, assume that they were seeing the same thing as well. Picard's like, there's nothing there. That's going to right. be that's his default position. Right. There's not right. a monster on the ship. So for him, there's no monster on the ship. You know what his mom was doing there is a whole other thing. But then the fact that he's willing to, like you say, I mean, even even, you know, approaching madness, he can go. All right. So what's really happening here mm-hmm. and kind of use that as interesting. I do have to ask, though, as far as the hallucination stuff goes, were the writers trying to screw up the character of Tasha Yar from the beginning? Hmm. And well, I, don't, I, I don't believe they actually are, but man, just nobody can get a handle on how to handle this character. Yeah. Worf thinks about his childhood pet. And quick aside, what's going on in that Klingon head? This fierce warrior, second in line for security chief, right? On the bridge of the Enterprise, one of the top ships of the fleet. Um, the ship that is now 300 light years from home. <laughs> yeah, right. What's, what, what is going on in his head that he's thinking about his childhood pet? Well, I do know for a fact that ribs of Targ are delicious, so he might have been hungry. He's not going to eat. His, that's his childhood pet. That'd be like a. That'd be like a. 
Spock killing Achaya because he was hungry one day. It just <laughs> because, you know, because there was a problem. Although I hear Salot or Salat, depending mm-hmm. on depending on whether you're in the north or south of Vulcan, also right. very tasty. <laughs> right. Um, Here's the thing, though. So he's thinking about his childhood pet, right? And it's like, for people who haven't seen it for some reason, it, picture a pig, but now put a lot of fur on it, and now put big spikes on it. Wait, wait, wait. Not not unlike not unlike a unicorn dog. Not 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 unlike if, a dog in a unicorn yeah. costume. Honestly, yeah. I thought that they had done that again, and I was going to be so happy. But then when it was obviously a pig, I was like, oh. Because if it had been a dog in a unicorn costume, I would have been like, can I please do the recap this week, please? <laughs> right. Right. But you know, it was new. It was a pig in a uh, in a stegosaur costume. Mm-hmm. So Yar then. So 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 Worf is like, oh, it's it's it, this is my pet, but it is um hmm my childhood pet. Yeah. And Yar says, oh, you mean like a kitty cat? Well, no, because it's big mm-hmm. <laughs> with big spiky things. Right. And unless you're talking about a sailot or an electric cat. Um, it, no, nothing like a kitty cat, actually. But Warp says yes, because the whole thing is actually just to get her to the part where she is then standing with her childhood pet um, and then about to be um, pursued by a rape gang. Yeah. And it does show the horror of her planet. And I understand it's a quick way to get there. But man alive, there's got to be an intelligent way to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, even just saying, oh, a childhood pet. Yeah, I mean, even that would have done it. Even that at that point, then her cat jumps down. It just It feels like they are just... It's like it's like every writer was allergic to the Tasha yeah. Yar character for some reason, and right. and they like broke out in something if they had to spend more than ten seconds thinking about something intelligent for her to say, and so they just gave up on it, made her either yell something or say something stupid, and then go on to the next scene. Well, here's the thing, you know, we we've gotten a lot of feedback from people talking about Yar and and kind of our coverage and trying to understand her, and I really feel like just from a writing point of view, I think you've probably nailed it with your description i i think that when you start to build a character breakdown and you go through and you say okay here's what picard is like and then you get an actor like patrick stewart to come in and read and you go oh yeah and that's exactly what he sounds like we're off and running Mm -hmm. with yar you have a little bit of a character background that says she's tough she's in this role as uh chief of security and here's her terrible broken background to try to explain a little bit of where she's coming from. And you sort of have enough of that on the page and then you stop, but you don't really know what to do with that when it comes to expressing that on screen. It's a very, very difficult thing. And I feel like if it's not a, a, a an outright sabotage of mm. the character, it's almost like the writers painted themselves into a corner with her. Um, so you, you have this little bit of information or background, not a whole lot to do with her on screen. So then you end up with what we ended up with here. And, and, and that feels terrible because I, I have always heard her character sort of derided. Um, mm-hmm. And I watched the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation when it was on originally, and I've caught reruns again since. But I've never really had a strong feeling about her either way. Honestly, I found Denise Crosby an attractive woman. And I was sort of like, ah, bummer, because I was a 17-year-old boy. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's largely what was on my mind when I was watching Star Trek uh, The Next Generation the first time around. Going back, though, I mean, it, it feels like I feel like the actress was mistreated and I feel like the character was mistreated. And I don't mean mm-hmm. like I don't mean like, you know, in a harassment sort of way or anything like that. It's just sort of like, yes, it, I mean, she is the most cardboard character of all yeah. of them. And and we've still gotten some pretty cardboard stuff from these characters uh, yeah. to this point. Yeah. But I just man, I feel like I feel like a whole lot was uh, 
I don't know, unless there's like some weird sort of you know, like time paradox, whatever, where her character could change <laughs> drastically. I, I feel like uh, I feel like there's 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 little hope. And by the way, let's make very clear that we are talking about the character of Tasha Yar because yeah. Denise Crosby is awesome. And the, the few times that I've met and chatted with her, she is great. Um, but in what we're doing here with Mission Log, just yeah. trying to pick apart the, the, the nuances, the characters, all that, this is a character that because of the writing is just not working. Right. And that gets expressed so far. here in that scene. So far. So far. Yeah, now yeah, we're yeah, only, yeah. what, five or six episodes into the next yeah, generation at this point. In, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, it yeah. may actually... It may get better. It may change. I seriously, honestly, people who have listened to this show for any length of time know I do not remember. <laughs> right. But so <laughs> far, it's not, uh, it's, not, it's not working out. Let's change gears here just a little bit. Uh, would the whole imagination thing uh, affect data? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. well, he could get drunk. I'm sorry. I, w- I was mm-hmm, uh, trying to hear what you were saying. Would it affect data? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would think maybe since he could do the since he was affected the same way in um, The Naked Now. But also data would definitely be disciplined enough, especially, well, data would be disciplined enough to, to not have his thoughts wonder. What I was actually curious about was telling people to control their thoughts the best way to go. Like, mm. like should Picard instead have, you know, set everybody on, you know, menial, mindless, dumb tasks? I was just walking through a crewman's quarters and it was a disgrace. So everybody back to your quarters and clean, clean, clean. I, I want you to scrub. I'm going to issue toothbrushes to everybody and seriously get down and get the corners. I mean, do you want to give them some sort of mindless task? Because when you tell everybody, listen, everyone, don't whistle, hum, or even think about pop goes the weasel. Right. <laughs> right. Guess right. what all of our listeners are doing right now, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, mm-hmm. if the ship's fate depends on people not whistling, singing, humming, or even thinking about Pop Goes the Weasel, and you tell them, okay, so seriously, don't do that because we could all die, they all die. Yeah. And so so yeah, tell everybody, yeah. no, really control your thoughts uh, because, uh, well, maybe Riker didn't watch Shore Leave. Right. Because we do know right. that he watches Star Trek reruns. Maybe he, he didn't does. watch Shorely because, you know, that whole thing of uh, control your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't usually work, especially when you tell people, no, seriously, control your thoughts. I might want to come back to that data thing in a moment because it, it, it might I might have just thought through a way that this affects my perception of this show or the premise of the show. So I want to I want to table that for just a moment. Um, there's a scene that I have to mention. Um, wow. Um the line referring to the traveler, he seems to have developed some kind of attachment to the boy. That's that's Riker. And then Wesley chimes in. My name is Wesley Commander Riker. <laughs> Can I just say, damn, I don't know if you're allowed to say that on mission log, but I guess you have. So sure. I just did. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, I, I kind of like the fact that he stood up for himself, honestly. And I, I like and I like the fact that Picard was like, yeah, yeah, he knows. <laughs> OK, OK. Right. We all we all know. I mean, right. it, it, he does. He does acknowledge halfway through it. I, I am being kind of a jerk to this kid, and maybe I won't be. But yeah, everybody all through the episode, it was actually weird how how even if we tend to treat children in a more enlightened way in the twenty fourth century, we're also cool if people don't. What's mm-hmm. that child doing here? That's the first thing Kaczynski says when he gets to uh, when he gets to engineering. What's that child doing here? And referring to him as boy, and nobody says oh, yeah. it's actually only it's it's actually only when somebody that Wesley knows is is demeaning him. Yeah. I mean, he I, I guess he's willing to take a certain amount of guff from outsiders, but from people who should know better, he expects more. That's well, kind of interesting. He stood up for not only for himself, but also, you know, reminding Riker, well, not to be a Kaczynski. 
<laughs> right, right. But, you know, here's the thing. Say what you will about Wesley. The moment at the end of him getting commissioned is mm. wonderful. It is. It, it's great. Um, it, it, it's a terrific, real moment. I, it. it it hinges upon the Picard and Riker dialogue. It's not so much about Wesley's reaction. It's about oh, yeah. the way they treat it, of course. Um, I did kind of wonder, though, here's this weirdo kid with his uh, voice synthesizer of Picard, <laughs> as we found out. And I just wonder, could they just put him in a holodeck simulation for training? Yeah. Maybe the whole commissioning was just a holodeck thing. Yeah, you know how is Yar not yelling about this? Was it not just three weeks ago <laughs> that he took over the ship? Right, Captain. I must agree. We should fire on Wesley. <laughs> I am truly glad I did not encourage you to write to missionlog at roddenberry.com to say something nice about the computer. To do so might be seen as overstepping my bounds. So, this is me, not encouraging you to write to missionlog at roddenberry.com to say something nice about the computer. So I find it interesting that you say uh, Kaczynski does not have a rank because he is wearing a uniform. It's quite possible that he has an honorary ambassadorship. <laughs> because Maybe an honorary if we've, admiralty. Yeah, if we've learned anything yeah. about the upper echelon of Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Promote them out of the way. But mm-hmm. then if, they're, if, they're, if they ever are on your ship, just know you're going to be dealing with a, a little bit of stuff. Maybe they don't even bother calling him admiral whatever, though, or, or ambassador whatever, because... He wears it on his sleeve, as you pointed out. Yeah, I well, and, D- and that's despite one of the, not having it on his sleeve, actually. Now that I think about right, it, right, right. That is one of the things that I kind of didn't get about creating the character that way. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I like the idea of somebody who does come in and totally shake things up, because so far we have a very functional crew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everybody's a good guy, and and even if you and I kind of take our shots at Tasha. Everybody is functional. Everybody does a good job. Everybody's behind- even fully functional as far as we know. Oh, hey, watch out. Hello. And, 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 but we're, we're behind them. We're rooting for them. In Kaczynski, we just don't. Yeah. And it, it's interesting also that he is a fraud. So you make this guy a jerk, but you also make him a fraud, although he doesn't understand that he is a fraud. Mm-hmm. He, he he doesn't understand that until the end, um, that the traveler is actually the one doing all the work. But why should Kozinski be a jerk about the whole thing? You know, he and the Traveler get along. Mm-hmm. The Traveler seems perfectly willing to work with this guy. Right. And, and, and he's not there under duress. Well, the Traveler is his backstage pass. I mean, mm-hmm. of course the Traveler is going to work with him because the Traveler is how he gets on board the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Now, why, why the Traveler? I mean, I know there's the whole thing about, well, humans haven't been interesting to this point that they mentioned. But, I mean, why the Traveler doesn't, you know, talk to anybody in the Federation or talk to anybody in Starfleet? Well, yeah, and that's what I don't get, because the Traveler could just say to Kaczynski, look, it's, it's not you, it's me. I, I, I want to see other Starfleet uh, uh, crew members, so uh, right. I, I want to go introduce myself. Maybe you know? people who are a tiny bit nicer than you are. Right, I would argue, right. uh, Kaczynski, I would argue, is just compensating. I mean, he just is. I mean, you say mm-hmm. he doesn't know that he is a fraud. I think he suspects that he is, though. And so I think he's I think he's just sort of I think he's blustering his way through stuff because it's much easier. Right. Mm-hmm. If he has to explain, because here's the thing. Uh, so he gets to the Enterprise and Argyle and Riker are like, so explain this to me. And Kaczynski's like, no, 
<laughs> right, right. And he's done this on two other ships, and you get the sense that that worked for him on the other two ships. Again, we are dealing, well, we're led to believe we're dealing with an exceptional crew when we're dealing with the Enterprise, although it's a little bit scary. So are you telling me then that the you know <laughs> captains and first officers of other crews are like, so tell me what you can do with my engines? Yeah, you I know. Do, I, I do not want to be on the USS Fearless. No, you don't. Uh, want to, well, they are fearless, so maybe that's it. Can you tell me what you're doing with, with the uh, engines? No. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Just go right ahead. What do I care? I have no... Um, What's that thing? I don't even know a word for it. That thing where you're kind of worried, but you're not worried, and you're, mm-hmm. well, I, eh, maybe I'll think of it sometime. Anyway, take over the Fearless. <laughs> I'll be in my bunk. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume that he's that he's just, that he's compensating, and whether he's doing that, whether that is, you know, to throw everybody off the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing, or whether that's to throw himself off the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows yeah. on some level that nothing that he's doing really should work, except he believes it will. Now, try that in, well, Iowa, where they seem to maybe sometimes build starships, sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Try that on Earth, and that's not so much going to work for you, unless you happen to be sitting next to a guy who can do that, right. a.k.a. the traveler, right? Right. Um, right. I think it's, it's partly blocking everybody else and partly blocking himself, because, you know, you tear down that wall. Come on, you've met people like that, haven't you? They're going to make it because they're going to make it. But sure. They don't really have the yeah. talent. They don't really have the skill. And yet, look at that. There's that person's name up in lights for seemingly no better reason than they always knew they were going to. So they did. Well, but he's got the other guy here to exploit. But the other guy is smarter and nicer. And yeah. all it takes is the other guy to start chatting with the crew. Right. Well, <laughs> but the other, guys, the other guy's doing it on the down low because, you know, I mean, we don't know anything about the travelers at this point. He does say that there are more people like him. Yeah. I mean, it's possible that they are. I mean, draw that out for a second. Okay. So we weren't interesting to you before, and now we are. So why didn't you say, hey? Right. Well, it's possible because, well, last time we said, hey, to a race about your size and about your shape and about your color and about your uh, technological level, we were hunted out of existence. I mean, we really don't know. We don't know what's going on with this guy. He's got, he's got decent reasons to, to keep it quiet. I do think maybe, um, Wesley should have made a little bit more noise when the guy literally starts blanking out of existence in front of him. Sure. If they're not going to listen to him, just, you know, write it down, <laughs> send a message. Come on, you've got a pad. Are you telling me that thing doesn't have a camera? Right. Snap a pic really quick and say, here. OK, so here he is and here he's not. And that was like a half a second apart. Think about it, though, in the past when we were looking at TOS, all the very powerful, very well-intentioned aliens that needed the help of uh, the, the original crew needed the help of the Enterprise, needed the help of James Kirk. But rather than asking, they just took over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, by any other name is, you know, there are certain parallels between that episode and this episode because the aliens take over. Yeah. They dehydrate the crew and they're just like, well, we're going to take off and we're going to go 300 light years away. And there's nothing you can do about it. At the end of that, Kirk says, look, all you had to do is ask. We will help you in whatever way we can. This is just not a good way to help you. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah, the problem, though, is uh, we're 80 years later than Kirk at this point. We haven't learned a whole lot about Starfleet yet. And, yeah. and honestly, this does not bode well. The fact that they're like, oh, by the way, there's this guy, <laughs> kind of difficult, um, but he's going to take over your ship. So mm-hmm. let him. <laughs> he's going to, your your brand new engines, yeah, he's going to do uh, something. He won't really tell us what, but it seems to work. So, yeah. so go to it. Or yeah, let just, him go to it, actually. You get out of his way. It's, uh, it, we don't know. We don't know anything about Starfleet, really, at this point, except that it's 
the same organization years later. Yeah, but the scientific method is the same. You know, bring the guy to Earth, run some tests, run more tests. Don't implement that on a yeah, ship. How did he do it the first time? That's exactly. the question. How do you get, exactly. you like get somebody? No, seriously, it's going to work. Are you yeah. sure? Well, no. <laughs> but, well, let me try. Maybe, maybe the problem here is summed up in this line. I forget who, who it is that poses it to uh, Picard. Maybe it is Riker. That's can Worf. you allow a man who has made a mistake back into a position where he can make another? That's uh, Worf who says that. Oh, it is Worf. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe this is where they keep getting themselves in trouble. Eh, we'll just give them one more chance. Well, yeah, no, he was, just, he, he did yeah. it fine the first two times, though. I mean, there were two yeah. other ships that he's done this with, and it's been okay. How it was he was allowed to do it with that first ship is, is kind of the puzzle. Yeah. Unless he had a, a smaller, like a runabout or something that had warped. Oh, man, what a geek I am. <laughs> well done, Ken. Oh, man. Yeah. You had a question yeah. about data. Yeah. yeah well, I, I like the idea that data's impulse is to explore where they are. Mm-hmm. They, they get out to this place way beyond what, what do you say a billion light years from earth and data's like yeah well no, no. you should have a look around no once they were a billion light years from earth he was on board with everybody going back it's when they were 300 million light years away at eh, 300 million a billion at that point or however long, much it was no long way to get home it wasn't even 300 million light years away it was going to take oh, it was 300, 300 years to get work. back right yeah 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 you see they're two galaxies away and data's like we should totally look around easy for him he's going <laughs> right. to live 300 years, you know, yeah. like going back 300 years, he's looking ahead 300 years, probably on a nanosecond by nanosecond basis going, mm. Oh yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> so I mean, for him to go, yeah, let's poke around a bit. Cause what, it's only going to take 300 years to, Oh, that might be a problem for you though. Huh? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me, and it's, it's, it's very nice when, when Picard says of data suggestions, spoken like a true Starfleet graduate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except again, spoken like a true Starfleet graduate who's going to live like 500 years, maybe more. Right. What with this or, whole it, real robot body thing, right? Definitely. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, for him, it'd be like at the end of the 300 years. Boy, do I have a story to tell. But first, I would really like to stretch my legs. Uh, right. Because I've been flying for, well, 300 years now. But it was neat. I mean, you would think that everybody else on the Enterprise, yeah, they're they probably freaked out. But Picard could just as easily have made an announcement to say, all right, everybody, we're here. Gather as much data as you can. Because yes. th- this might be useful one day. <laughs> you know, we don't know when. That's true. Not, hundreds of years from now, but do your jobs. Not even taking pictures for 24 hours. Yeah, right. It, it does strike me as kind of odd. It's like, oh, we're outside. I want to be inside. Mm-hmm. Oh, but come on, you've never been outside before. Yeah, and maybe we'll send other people to go outside one day. Oh, but right now, I'd like to go back in, please. Yeah, but Picard does see value in getting home so that Kaczynski's formula can be used on a real scientific vessel with a real scientific mission. So that he concedes that much. And mm-hmm. Kaczynski, I thought, had a great point that mankind's achievements have been linked with speed. Many of them, not all of them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he's right. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, cars that go faster and faster, rockets that go to the moon, and uh, absolutely, you know, breaking of the sound barrier uh, by Chuck Yeager, all that stuff, absolutely. So it, here's where I wanted to come back to the data thing. When I asked with the whole imagining what becomes real thing that happens to our crew, would that affect data or would data have an effect on reality? Mm-hmm. 
So I guess the place that that becomes weird for me is, is well, first of all, you have the idea that an android would have an imagination, right. that, that it would have abstract thought and be able to say, like, now I see a cat, now I see a targ, now I see this. You know, I assume that his positronic brain does not work the same way that ours does with random ideas, images, all firing synapses. But I guess the other thing that really made me think about this and I think we'll talk about this in our wrap-up. The premise of thought having such an effect on physical reality. When you say that, you then have to assume that there is a mechanism for that to happen. Mm-hmm. That, that a human brain, and we'll assume for a moment that the traveler has at least enough in common in his physiology with human physiology, that, that there is a brain, that there are electrical impulses, firing that make these things happen, that then you're in a part of the universe where that can actually be read and understood. So there is a mechanism by which the thoughts are firing in the brain, leaving the brain, for for lack of a better word, and then being manifested, then being built into a physical reality, whether that is by another being or whether that is by simply the physics of that area where that happens. That's what sort of made me maybe have questionable thoughts about this episode that I'll I'll get into more when we do our wrap up. But then that really made me think about data. Well, if data's brain is just so much positronic firing of electrons, Mm -hmm. if he is capable of abstract thought, then not only could he manifest some truly interesting and bizarre things in this part of the universe, he could essentially do a better job than the traveler. He he could manifest all of the physics necessary to get them back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that he would do a better job than the traveler. I think that they become a pair at that point, because mm-hmm. If you can go ahead and get data to believe in the traveler, the traveler then becomes like um um what's that thing from from the Avengers like the tesseract i mean the mm-hmm. the, tra- uh, the traveler then becomes sort of like this this uh, conduit of unlimited power because data has no choice but to believe what is true right i mean right, that, that right. that's the way his robot brain works right now. We assume and now the one thing is he wants to be more human. It actually would have been an interesting turn. Had we come back to the bridge and seen a a flesh and blood Brent Spiner sitting there, oh, so, okay. So I mean, is that I mean, but I mean, being being an android, he does have maybe maybe he has subroutines written for like, okay, well, this is my time for abstract thought, right? And it just happened to not be that time when they were in you know, the haywire universe. Well, and given the order, he could turn it off. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing about data's brain. Yeah, he, but you'd he have could to direct he, everything to one thought. You would have to know who it was though. I mean, cause you're right. He could be ordered to turn it off, but would he order himself to turn it off? I mean, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's time, yeah. if it's time for the, you know, crazy fun thought. Right. right. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting. I mean, you, you gave him, uh, use the word belief, Mm-hmm. Data would have to believe in the reality around him. Well, well, know it. Yeah, exactly. Data would have data would have to trust that the reality that he sees is reality, and data presumably has better ways of testing that than our limited human abilities. Data has desire 
to be human. Right. So whether or not that desire then is something that could be read and manifested, I, I, boy, I agree with you. That could have been a really cool shot if there is a flesh and blood Lieutenant Commander Data for a moment. And then how do you get him back? I'm beginning, so, I'm beginning to want Star Trek, the next, next generation, to actually center on a traveler. I mean, there are really a lot of fascinating ideas, that, and I don't know if there is going to be a Star Trek the next next generation. I certainly <laughs> right. hope they come up with a better name for it than that. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's there's a there's there's a there's a lot to play to there's a lot to play with here. Sorry, I've spent a lot of time this episode talking about me rather than the crew of the Enterprise and their enigmatic guest, the Traveler. I guess I'm just a little out of phase. See. I am paying attention. I say there's a lot to play here with, and we took it out, we played with it, and um, I don't know. We got to see what they made of um, where no one has gone before. <laughs> this is the part in the episode where we decide whether what they made was worth anything, where we uh, take it apart from messages, morals, and meanings and try to figure out whether or not the episode holds up. I put it to you, Mr. Champion. <laughs> Does where no one has gone before hold up? I, I really went back and forth on this one. Um, I, I liked it. I didn't like it. I liked it. I didn't like it. I think I've landed at a place where I like it. And now after our discussion, I respect the episode more. Uh, first of all, from a production angle, it is made very well. I, I complained about some of the previous episodes where I felt like the, the editing, the production values, a lot of it was very sloppy. This is not a very sloppy episode. This is well done. We got some great effects. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the end, this is a very likable episode that I like, but I don't love. And mm-hmm. I see how there are people who could really love this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the character of the Traveler is great. Mm-hmm. I think the character of Kaczynski is interesting, if only to shake things up. He's a bit two-dimensional, but why not mess with the crew dynamic by introducing somebody like him? Um, and I like that there are moments about Wesley that are gained from this. I like the, the, the scale of the universe that we see here, and I like the mystery of the great beyond. Um, and, and even just the, the mind blowing imagery that we get, like you said, you know, Picard on the turbo lift just stands out to you mm-hmm. and, and is such an indelible image and says so much about the character. I love that. In the end, I think the problem that I have with it is that this is Tinkerbell. And I, <laughs> I, I am a big fan. I am a big fan of Peter Pan. One of the first professional theater gigs that I had was being in Peter Pan. I got mad love for Peter Pan. But if this episode comes down to, if you only believe strong enough and you clap your hands, we'll make the Enterprise fly again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe that's not necessarily the message I want from it. It's just sort of a conceit to get them out of there. Mm-hmm. So that's where I part ways with the episode. Uh, what about you, Ken? I... Um, I surprised myself how much I ended up liking this episode. Mm. Uh, here's where I will start. And Star Trek did not quote Shakespeare, but I will. Okay. Uh, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that they were saying, you know, everything that we know, okay, we don't actually know everything. Now, they're still going to do it. I mean, they're still doing it. It's, it's pseudoscience, okay? I know, it's, I, I know we bumped into a few scientists at, uh, at, the, uh, at the convention who would probably laugh their heads off at me. Mm. 
But, I mean, they they do the pseudoscience thing enough where they're like, oh, it's like magic. And he's like, yeah, I could see where you would think it's magic. It's not really magic, but it's so far beyond you. That, right. Yeah. I like the fact that, they are, that they're showing us something. Because think about it. In the 60s, when, when TOS was on, there was so much that we didn't know. We learned so much in those 20 years. And you will occasionally, today, as we record in the early 2000s, I have come across people who are like, technology has gone as far as it can. And I and I'm I'm always both um, amused and horrified when people say that because it's just like no, we've just gone as far as you can, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and so I like the idea that even though it's not anything that that we can codify, that we can look at and say, well, I understand exactly how this. I think about it, and suddenly it appears on the bridge thing works. I like the fact that they were trying to present something that was like, yeah, there's so much more that we don't get yet. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, the sort of uh, Peter Pan Tinkerbell maneuver is a bit woo-woo, but if you take it out of the realm of, of the pseudoscience or the self-help parlance or, or faith or however you want to say it, magic, mm-hmm. um, as we record this today, we can't get on the same page. We can't get on the same page politically in the U.S. We can't get on the same page politically uh, globally in the U.S. We can't get on the same page as far as, um, I, I don't know, uh, climate change, pollution, whether or not the whales are worth saving. Uh, we're dealing with factions, in, in just about every part of, I had a great conversation with uh, with someone um, with a Canadian when we were at the uh, at the expo um, mm. in Vegas one time, and 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 she wanted to know about our healthcare system and mm. and what the deal was with the U.S. healthcare system. And I said, you know, I really don't want to have this discussion because there were other people there. I was like, I really don't want to have this discussion because um, I don't want to talk politics. Mm-hmm. And she said, Why is talking about health talking politics? Mm. And it's a fascinating idea, but guess where we are? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, the idea the idea of let's all get behind this one idea. Let's all work for the thing that's going to be good for everybody. I mean, that's that's really what that whole Peter Pan thing boils down to in this episode to me. I mean, everybody's been afraid of something. Everybody's been running from something. Everybody's been trying to figure something out. Kaczynski's been trying to sort of up his own street cred or space lane cred or however you want to say it. And what the whole thing comes down to, what the whole episode hinges on is, let's work together. Mm-hmm. Come on, come on, let's work together. Because, you know, <laughs> it is a music reference, so mm-hmm. I can't help but do that. So, I mean, that to me makes this episode just absolutely fantastic. And then there are just a million other, it seems to me, there are a million other uh, messages in it. I mean, the dangers of cult of personality, like we talked about with Kaczynski. He is, he is exactly where he is because he has presented himself as, yeah, I'm the guy who can do that. And nobody's mm-hmm. even stopped to go, well, is he really? And then the people who have stopped to do that, well, the problem is they're, 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 um, their perception is colored by the traveler, of course, because, right. I mean, his stuff has worked to this point, except, of course, it turns out it hasn't actually worked. I found it interesting that we have a godlike creature who, for the first time ever, with the exception of Q, but even Q is sort of like, Q's like, okay, you better watch your step, because I'm out here, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have a godlike creature here who's like, well, look at you guys. You're kind of interesting. <laughs> in, in, in the original series, it was always, oh, you guys will be interesting in a few years or a few hundred years or a few thousand years. Please don't call us. We'll call you <laughs> right, when we right. care what you have to say. And then we come across somebody who's not godlike in the, you know, Trelane's parents kind of way, but godlike in the, hey, you want to see what I can do? Mm-hmm. Um Who's saying? Yeah, no, you guys are you guys are kind of hip. You're on to some stuff. So so yeah, why don't we talk? You talked about the commissioning. 
at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fantastic uh, what happens at the end of the episode. And again, what we're getting there is, first of all, we're going to go ahead and grow the Wesley character. We are now getting the idea that there's going to be some kind of arc that's going to happen because this guy has come to Picard and said, hey, watch that kid. Seriously, watch him because some really great stuff is going to happen. Now, he could have warned him that some really bad stuff is going to happen, too. <laughs> right. But, you know, he's like, watch that kid because that's going to be awesome. And I love the whole thing about, you know, should we call his mother? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a wonderful, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful scene. That might be the best scene in the whole, in the whole uh, episode, actually. Just, just the interplay between, yeah. um, between Riker and Picard and, and Wesley. I mean, even though it's you. not necessarily as well acted as you might want it to be from, uh, from, uh, from Will Wheaton's, you know, from Will Wheaton's end. Um, yeah. it's just, it's just an absolutely fantastic scene. I would actually go, I would, I would completely opposite what you're saying. This would have been to me an excellent pilot in the same way that, um, uh, the man trap, we didn't start in the man trap going, well, I'm captain of the ship and I got this guy and here are these people and I got this new guy coming in. We, we were just in the middle of the man trap. Right. And when I'm watching this episode, I'm thinking, look, at everybody is just firing on all cylinders. We, we don't have the, well, here's who I am and here's why I am. We understand that Tasha's life is awful from that 10 seconds that we get of her there with her cat and those guys, you know, screaming at her and coming after her. And that's so much better than the minute. It feels like a minute. It's probably only 15 seconds of her yelling at, at Q about how bad her <laughs> life was and how much better it is now. Right. If, if they weren't going to do Q, if they weren't going to do Encounter at Farpoint, this to me, this, this might be, this feels like Star Trek. This feels yeah. like not, not Star Trek that's trying to be Star Trek, not Star Trek that is introducing itself to everybody, not Star Trek that's trying to justify itself in what is suddenly canon because it just used to be a TV show and a few movies and now it's, you know, now, now it's going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a thing that keeps going. This does not feel like something that's trying to justify its existence in that this feels like Star Trek to me. Is it the best episode ever? No. Is it the most exciting episode ever? No. But I mean, this is a, this to me is a great episode. Yeah, I mean, well, it, there's something in here about how it, we don't have a bad guy. We don't have a war we have to go to. We have pure exploration, um, not just in the sense of where the ship is going, but how we work together. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'll come back to that point. You know, like I said, where I parted ways with the episode is sort of the, the, the Tinkerbell element. You know, mm -hmm. just clap your hands and think hard enough and we'll save the, the Tinkerbell ship. element, by the way. Worst episode of Star Trek ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that is... That's me taking the episode at face value uh, of what actually happens in the episode. I come back around to it, and what I really like about it is this sort of message that, that I can glean from it. Our thoughts are powerful. Like, <laughs> as you are so fond of quoting the, the lawyer in the shower curtain, Good as you so shall you too. Um, oh, wait a minute. You said it wrong. Well, as you uh, believe, so shall you do. So oh, shall, so you, shall do. you do. So, so shall, shall you do. You do. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Power of threes, dude. Come on. It's not just thought. It's <laughs> but, thought triplicate. Uh, I believe Picard says it, it's chaos. What we think is what happens. And metaphorically, this is where I'm back on board with this episode. Um, that has more to do with changing our attitudes and changing our point of view rather than just speaking to some kind of woo nonsense. So, yeah, I can leave the woo nonsense of this behind and I can say that if there's a message here hidden in that science fiction metaphor, then that message is we have to start thinking in a way that 
asks all of us to work together to achieve better things. You hit the nail on the head with so many points that are sort of current political hot topics. But even if you take it beyond that, you know, what are we doing with our space program? What are we, you know, you know, how do we envision the kinds of cities that we live in and how we take care of each other and all of this stuff? Yes, we have to decide that we will think those things through and try to push as much of that chaos out as we can. Because if we don't, then we will continue to live in chaos. So, yeah, as far as a message goes, that's where I love this episode in that way. Um, I'd also say some other uh, messages that that I picked out here. Uh, Don't be so anxious to throw your invention in someone's face. (laughs) Kaczynski, experiment, share your data, collaborate. Just, Ken, don't be a Kaczynski. Nobody likes a Kaczynski. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that guy. When you say don't throw your invention in people's face, you're, you're, you're talking about an actual invention, right? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I'm talking about I'm talking about an attitude. Okay. Well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair um, fair but fair. but listen to the people around you. You know that was a, a lesson for Riker um, to actually take seriously the the opinions and the information he's getting from others, namely Wesley. And Wesley's vindicated at the end of this in a great way. Yeah. 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 I agree. So I would say that all of those messages and more what you picked out, they definitely hold up and, uh, and that makes the episode better than maybe it appears at first glance. Hey, hey, you with the earbuds, what do you think? <laughs> Did you pick up messages, morals and meanings that you would like to share with us? Do you think I'm crazy? Do you think John's crazy? Or do you think John's crazy? <laughs> there are a number of ways to get in touch with us, Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. Email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Got a great place for you to check out online. That is missionlogpodcast.com. And if you find yourself at trekmovie.com, well, by golly, we're there too. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Can next week there is more next gen to come. It is lonely among us. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at KI theory.com Don't forget completely forget about writing to mission log at roddenberry.com to say something nice about the computer and transmission <laughs>